And today, I am going to tell you a story about a man named Bo Kirk. He was from Post Falls, Idaho, which is a beautiful, beautiful town in northern Idaho, and it's in Kootenai County. And when I tell you that this town was beautiful, like, it is breathtaking. In any which direction you're looking, it is mountains upon mountains upon mountains, and you've got your rivers and you've got your creeks and it's full of hiking and hunting and fishing and anything outdoors. If you are an outdoors person at all, this is a dream town. And not only is the scenery insanely beautiful, but your townsfolk is insanely beautiful. It is such a polite place. Everybody is pleased and thank you and let me hold the door for you and hi, hello, how's your day? And everybody's friends with everybody. It's definitely a tight-knit community and just such an amazing place to either live or visit. And it was always that way until the heinous events that took place on October 22nd, 2016. These events literally shook this community from their roots. And it's very, very heartbreaking. William Kirk, who was known as Bo, was described by many people as a family man and a jokester and a prankster. He was just incredibly fun to be around, and his mission in life was to make people laugh. And uh, he met his wife, Amanda, when they were only 16 years old. And when they got married, instead of walking down the aisle to traditional music, they both went running out with super soakers and sprayed the entire audience. Like, that's just the type of people that they were. It was all about fun and love all the time. And they have three children, and Bo was so, so, so incredibly in love with his children. He was the type of dad that coached all of his kids' sports, and he was just so madly in love with his wife, Amanda, and, um, like, they just had really the picture-perfect life, and he was super, super excited because he had a brand-new grandbaby on the way, and he just could not wait to meet this baby. Bo worked as an x-ray tech at Northwest Specialty Hospital in Post Falls, Idaho. All of his coworkers just completely adored him. They loved being around him. And uh, Mike Lehman is actually Bo's boss, and he said that Bo very, very quickly became his best friend. And so on October 22nd, 2016, Bo leaves work at seven o'clock, like he does every day. He is always home by 7.30 to have dinner with his wife and kids. 
and and it takes them about 15 to 20 minutes to get home from work um, pretty short commute and so at about eight o'clock when Bo still had not shown up uh, Amanda starts calling him and it, his phone's going straight to voicemail and Amanda starts to get a little bit worried because this is a little bit out of character for him and so she ends up calling Mike saying, hey, Mike, do you know where Bo is? Like, are you guys working late? Is he in with a patient? What's what's actually taking place? And Mike is like, no, we we, sh we closed down shop at seven o'clock. But you know what? Let me run out to the parking lot really quick and I'll go see if Bo's truck is out there. So they hang up the phone. Mike goes down, checks. Bo's truck is not there. So he calls Amanda and he says, hey, Bo's truck is not in the parking lot. I have no idea where he is. He's like, why don't you check your guys' account and see if maybe he stopped at a store or just whatever. Maybe he has done something that would kind of show you where he is at this moment. And so Amanda waited a little bit. Then she ends up checking the accounts. When she sees the accounts, there are three $300 withdrawals from ATMs. And immediately Amanda's bugged by this because Bo would never pull $900 out of their account without first discussing it with Amanda. And so at this point in time, she gets super duper worried. And at 9.21 p.m., Amanda calls 911 and says, hey, you know what? I'm really worried about my husband. He didn't come home from work. And he was supposed to be home at 7.30. Now it's coming up on 9.30. And um, I noticed there's $900 that's been withdrawn from my account. And I'm really worried that something has happened. And the 911 operator says, well, are, do you think your husband is missing? And Amanda says, yes, yes, I do think he's missing. This is completely out of character for him. I'm very worried. So then the 911 operator, she dispatches this to the Kootenai County Sheriff's Office. And um, the detective who was assigned to it was actually Detective Neil Urig. And he said that it wasn't really um, an abnormal missing person phone call. Like, uh, apparently they get plenty of missing persons calls, but usually what has happened is somebody has stopped by a grocery store or somebody ran into somebody they knew and started talking and time got away from them. And there's always something explainable and everything ends up fine. And so he wasn't super concerned. But then at 9.43, a super concerning 911 call comes in. And I'm going to read this to you so that I can give it to you verbatim. The caller says, we have a truck at the bottom of the driveway, totally encased in flames. There was an explosion about 10 seconds ago. The operator asks if there is someone inside the vehicle. The caller said, if there's somebody, if there's somebody in there now, they're dead. The operator says that she will send the, the fire department out to help. The caller asks, do you want me to proceed down there? Um, oh, now it just blew up again. The operator says, I don't want you to go down there. I want you to stay away from it. Do not try to put the fire out. The caller says, oh, God, it just blew up again. The operator reiterated that the fire department was on their way. 
Um, so at this point in time, fire department gets down there and um, the police department contacts Amanda and ask if, asks if the, um, they have a 2015 GMC truck. Amanda says, yes, they do. So they tell her, hey, this truck is on fire. And so Amanda's freaking out. Like, is my husband inside the truck? Is my husband fine? What What's happening? Well, they don't know anything. They can't get close enough to the truck to even see. So they can't give her any information. So at this point in time, she is losing her mind, which... I would absolutely be losing my mind if I thought that there was a chance that my husband could be in a burning truck. Mm-hmm. No, nope. I, I, I would, I would be a mess. So um, once the vehicle was cool enough for the police to do their job and investigate. Um, they found that an accelerant had been used and there was like this trail back behind the truck where they had lit it and it burned all the way up. And, um, they, they found shell casings by the truck. They did not see any, any human in there that they could tell at the moment, but the shell casings made them a little bit worried, but not too worried just because this is Northern Idaho, this is the mountains, and everybody in Post Falls owns a gun. Everybody in Northern Idaho owns a gun. And it is not um, unheard of to find shell casings on the side of a road even in towns like that. And so they weren't sure if this is an act of violence or if these shell casings are just kind of there from something previous. And so they're kind of wondering, well, did Bo set his own truck on fire or is he in imminent danger? And so they don't have any information at this point in time. So finally they get the truck back to the impound lot and the the truck burnt so hot that it melted the entire interior and it melted all the paint off the truck. So it's just bare metal. And as they're going through, they're looking and looking for human remains, and there are not any human remains to be found at all. And so that was a bit uplifting that they they couldn't find anything in there, and so they still have a little bit of hope, like, okay, maybe Bo's okay. And so uh, they did let Amanda know, hey, we did not find any remains in the truck. So now the investigation really gets started. On October 23rd, uh, Bo's sister Claudia actually calls the police department and says, hey, I want you to look at my dad for this. Like, I would not put this past my dad at all. Um, So I guess Bo and Claudia actually had a pretty terrible childhood. Their father was very abusive. And at one point in time, their father actually kidnapped them at gunpoint and took them from their mother. Um, but I get it just a really shitty, shitty, shitty childhood. And, you know, luckily they both came out of it pretty okay. But, um, I guess four months prior to Bo going missing, Bo's dad had actually reached out to him via social media and told Bo that he was really, really sick. And he had like indirectly 
been asking for money. And so Bo told him, he's like, hey, you know, I'm really sorry that you're going through this. Nobody should have to go through this. And he just kind of ended it there. He didn't offer up the money, didn't say he would do anything like that. Just said, hey, I am sorry you're not well. And um, so at that point in time, Bo's dad gets pissed off and he starts firing back all these messages and threatening him with violence and uh, like just a, a really heap of bullshit, like the things that a parent shouldn't say to you. And so um, Claudio is very, very worried. Like this really, really could be my dad and I need you to look into him. While Claudia waited for the police to track down her dad, she and her family and friends, they start posting flyers all over the place, all over town. And it wasn't long before the whole community was looking for Bo. Like they were walking through the mountains and going down into ditches and looking everywhere. But the mountains in Northern Idaho are so massive and there's so much land to cover that there just isn't enough people. Like it's it's just massive forests all over the place. And so everybody's kind of coming up empty handed at this point in time, but the entire community is searching for this man. And um, so during this time, while the community is searching, the police are able to contact Bo's father. And they said that Bo's father did seem genuinely, genuinely concerned and very worried about his son. And he was wanting updates and everything like that. But they did check him out. And his father was not in the area at the time that Bo went missing. His father was in Arizona where he lives. So they were able to exclude him as a person of interest. Um, so the police start tracking down the ATM footage um, because there was three different ATM withdrawals. So what they're usually trying to get footage from a bank takes a little while, but they were able to get some strings pulled and they were able to get some footage pretty quickly. Now, the man that they saw driving Bo's truck was definitely not Bo. Um, this was a bigger man and um, he had on a hoodie and like a handkerchief face covering that had like a skull on it. And um, all you could really see were his bright blue eyes. And everybody was just like, oh my gosh, who is this man? Like nobody in Bo's family recognized this person. And so um, the police actually put this footage out on the news and said, hey, does anybody recognize this man? And at that point in time, the tips just start pouring in. People are calling and calling and calling. And they were getting hundreds of tips. And they said that about 50% of the tips that were called in were said, uh, said that it was a man named Kevin Bassett. Now, Kevin Bassett is a coworker of Bo's. He actually trained Bo. And Bo and Kevin were, were golf buddies. Like they were, they were pretty good friends in all of this. And so the police showed Mike, his best friend slash boss, um, this surveillance photo. And he, he, they said, you know, does this look like it could be Kevin Bassett? 
And Mike says, actually, yes, that does look like it could be Kevin Bassett, but I don't, like, that just doesn't sound like something Kevin would do. Kevin's not going to go out and do this to both. They're friends. So I don't understand it. Yes, it does look like him, but I'm not sure I think it is him. And so the police start talking to Kevin and, um, and Kevin is complying and he's answering all the questions and everything. And Kevin told him, Hey, I was hunting. Um, I went hunting from Friday to Sunday. I was with this certain individual. They can tell you, um, where I was hunting and where they saw me and this and that and the other. And, uh, so the police are like, okay, we'll get a hold of this guy. So while they are trying to get a hold of this person that Kevin had gone hunting with, um, Bo's really good family friend, his name is Brian Johnston, uh, he reaches out to a known psychic in the area. Her name is Jennifer Von Baron. Um, so he reaches out and says, hey, my friend is missing. Like, we have to find this guy. Is there any way you can help? And so Jennifer, she's like, hey, I'll do what I can, like, see if I can channel him, you know, whatever. I'll let you know what I can come up with. And so um, Jennifer starts getting visions of Bo and where Bo is. And she goes to bed that night and she looks over and Bo is standing right next to her bed. And so she's just like, okay, yes, I know where you are. I know where you are. I will, I'm going to let people know you will be found type of deal. And so, um, on October 25th, Jennifer t gets a hold of Brian Johnston and says, Hey, these are the things that have been going on. These are the encounters that I have had with Bo. And this is where you're going to be able to find Bo. Like he's, he's there. He's waiting for you to come find him pretty much. And so, um, <laughs> Brian Johnston grabs his uncle and they head into the mountains. And so, um, let's see here. Oh, so they head down Hayden Creek road, just past a creek and he stops and he looks in his rearview mirror and he sees Bo's bright green Seahawk sneakers. And so, um, he gets out of the truck goes and looks and he's just like, I am sure that's Bo. And so he calls 911 and tells them, hey, I just found a body and I am pretty sure that it is Bo Kirk. So Bo Kirk was found face down in a ravine in Hayden Creek, which is part of the National Forest. Um, he was fully clothed and his hands were bound behind his back with a zip tie. Bo had been shot eight times in the back. So the police turned back to Kevin Bassett as they got a hold of the individual who he was supposed to be hunting with. And this individual says, no, I wasn't hunting with Kevin. And then the police find out that Kevin Bassett had not been hunting in over 20 years. And so now they're starting to look at him pretty hard. Like, okay, you're lying about who you've been with. And like, you haven't been hunting in over 20 years and randomly you are going hunting the same weekend that this man got, goes missing. Like things just don't really add up. And so Kevin had been super, super cooperative 
the whole time until this happens and then he shuts down and he lawyers up. Um, so at this point in time, they don't have great access to Kevin anymore. And so the police have a press release. Ugh. The police have a press release asking for any surveillance footage from the area um, for that Saturday evening. The nearby gas station, they have, they send in some surveillance footage of a man who is filling up gas cans in the back of his truck. And, um, the, and th this is happening 57 minutes after Bo is abducted. And so um, the man in the footage is not the same man that was in the ATM footage. So the police now know that there are two suspects. And um, the, uh, the woman in the gas station, she tells the cops, <clears throat> excuse me, she tells the cops, hey, this guy is a regular here. He usually comes in with his brother. His name is Justin. I don't know his last name, but I do have his business cards and he runs this small engine repair business. Um, so the police end up tracking down uh, Justin Booth. His, his, they found out his last name is Booth. So they end up tracking down his address and they go to his house to be like, hey, why were you buying like all these gas cans full of gas at this point in time? on this date like what what exactly were you doing with it and when they get to justin's house there's nobody there so um while the police are trying to track down booth important information comes in about kevin bassett and um i guess the man that he was supposed to be hunting with kevin has <clears throat> two friends with the same name like how convenient is that? That's, that's crazy. But um, so the police, they call the wrong one. And they're like, no. He's like, no, I wasn't with him. So they're actually able to clear Kevin on this. They're able to, you know, track everything down or whatever. He's cleared. And the police said that Kevin was the most guilty, innocent man they have ever seen. On October 28th, the police get a phone call from an attorney who says they have a client who wants to talk to them about the murder of Bo Kirk. This client was none other than Justin Booth. And Justin Booth tells them that the other man that they are looking for, his name is David Hutto. So the story that Justin tells police is just terrible, it's horrible. So I guess Justin and David, they're out driving around um, looking for this home that they have decided they're going to go do a home invasion on. And um, Bo gets off work, he's driving down the highway, pulls up behind Justin and David, and Bo's lights are a little bit too bright and it pisses David off. So Justin's driving, so he pulls into the next lane over, lets Bo pass. And um, it makes David so mad, just gives him a little bit of passenger side road rage, I guess, that um, Bo turns off and da David tells Justin, hey, follow this guy. I want you to follow him down. And so Justin's like, all right. So he darts across the highway and he follows Bo to his house 
and he pulls into Bo's driveway right behind him. So Bo gets out of his truck, and by the time Bo is out of his truck, David is walking up to Bo's truck, and um, David pulls, he's got a gun out, and, um, you know, Bo is just like, hey, hey, what the hell do you want, man? And David pulls out these zip ties from his pocket and zip ties Bo's hands behind his back and tells him to get in his truck. So David is now driving Bo's truck with Bo sitting passenger and Justin is driving his own truck. And um, <clears throat> David tells Justin, follow me to the mountains. So Justin does, he follows him up to the mountains and he they pull onto Hayden Creek Road and David gets Bo out of the car and before anything happens, he tells Bo to give me your PIN number to your debit cards. And he's holding a you know, gun on him. So Bo's like, okay, here's my PIN number. Take, take my PIN number, take my debit cards or whatever. And so then David walks him over to the side of the street and he tells Bo, he says, Bo, close your eyes. Close your eyes and you'll see your wife again. And so Bo closes his eyes David takes his gun and shoots him in the back. And at that point, Bo falls to his knees and David empties his entire revolver into Bo. And uh, so then he reloads the gun and Bo is already face down in this ravine. And he, David looks over at Justin and he says, do you wanna stay here with him? And Justin says, no, I do not. And he said, okay. And so he shoots off the rest of the bullets into the ravine down by Bo. And so pretty much threatening Justin, hey, if you tell, you're gonna be here with him type of deal. So um, at that point in time, uh, Justin uh, ends up kicking David out. So David and Justin are roommates. And he and Justin ends up kicking him out because David has been threatening Justin and threatening Justin's family's lives. And like things were just getting scary. Justin was now terrified for his life. So um, the cops end up tracking down David Hutto and David Hutto tells the exact same story, but in reverse. And so they ended up looking into a lot of different things and they found, they find this garbage bag at this place where David Hutto is staying. And it has the revolver in it that was used on Bo. And it has a cigarette butt in it, which actually has the DNA of Justin Booth on it. And it has a rubber glove in it that has, um, the gun residue on there and the DNA that was inside the glove was Dustin Hutto's. So at this point in time, they both, um, they are found guilty. Like they're found guilty of kidnapping and murder. And so um, David Hutto is sentenced to three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. He was deemed so dangerous that his jumpsuit had horizontal stripes to show this. 
He only gets out of his cell for one hour a day and is watched by two guards the entire time that he is out. Justin Booth is sentenced to 30 years to life with the possibility of parole. He is placed in a different prison than Hutto. So this is just such a heartbreaking, heartbreaking story that just really shook an entire community. And I am so glad that both of these men were caught and justice was served, but my heart just breaks for Amanda and her children and Claudia and anybody who knew Bo. It is just insanely sad. So that is the story that I have for you today. And thank you so much for joining Mystery Loves Company. And we will talk to you later, misfits. Bye.